season. Right. You could do, um, we're recording. No, I feel like I'm pretty in control of my peas. Me, 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 me. Yeah. Whether the weather is hot. Ooh, party foul, party foul. Guys, we are Thank recording. You so Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you so much. This is just that fresh yeah. Yeah. BTS audio. Full disclosure, friends, uh, first and foremost, welcome to the Rachel LaForce Show. That's right. It's me, Rachel LaForce, for a podcast of any other name would not smell as sweet. Uh, guys, I'm super excited about my guest this week today. When you're listening, this is a long time coming. I'm so excited. This, you guys, is the marvelous, the wonderful, the manic, the grounded, the ever-evolving, multi-hyphenate that is... Emily Browning. Emily, welcome to the show. Oh, hello, ladies and gents. Wow, what an opening. Well, I mean, you're short filming, you're podcasting, you're business starting. You are, you, you are, are you Gen Z? You might be, or you were like super young millennial. I feel like young millennial. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 92, baby. Okay. I said it here. 92. Great year. Oh, the best. Yeah. I really, I'm like, I mean, what happened? Well, I was five. So I feel like I do have some memories, but I just, there's been a lot of like, I was I watching recently? I don't know something from the early night. Oh, my dad was in town over Christmas, and we watched Rookie of the Year. Do you okay. know this film? Well, it came out when I was in the hospital, so I, 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 I think I missed it. <laughs> like in the hospital, and you're being born. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool, yeah. cool, cool. Yeah, but your doctor was watching it, so yeah. you remember it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, there's shots of people in the stands uh, of the Cub Stadium in the '90s, and I was just like, had this overwhelming sense of like. Gosh, for things to be that easy. You know, you know, Rachel, I would love to keep talking about this movie I haven't seen. <laughs> so I'm just going to concur. I'm going to pull Leonardo DiCaprio from Catch Me If You Can and just concur with you on that one. Ooh, speaking of Leo, did you watch um, Don't Look Up? I did. I, I was one of the few people that actually enjoyed it. I loved it. Oh, my God. Everyone hated it. Yeah. That's, do you want to know my take? Yeah, please. I don't think they were smart enough to take in the how delicate and beautifully parodied our existence was in that movie. Exactly. People said it was too heavy handed, but you know what? If you write Anchorman, I'm going to watch anything that you do after that. 100% and also heavy handed. Do you exist right now? Everything's heavy handed. Everything, (laughs) everything is on fire. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I mean the, the whole thing with Ariana Grande's character and like, I just thought it was so well done. And then, um, you know, America's favorite husband, Alex Gatlin and I, I have a fair amount of like, uh, you know, more centrist and even like more conservative folks that are like in our orbit. Right. Yeah. And so there's a lot of people that were like, it's, it was so like, it was going after Trump and it was like leftist propaganda. And I'm like, I think they did a really good job of just like showing that everyone is full of shit at this point. I mean, yeah. 
You know, it's funny. I didn't even know that it was about environmentalism and climate change. I thought it, I thought it was about COVID the whole time. And I was like, huh. I was getting confused with the parallels. Sure. Was there like, was a, it was a lot to take in. Yeah. And then afterwards, my stepdad was like, uh, he was like, I, it was just so clear. And I was like, I know, right? Totally. Because <laughs> I thought it was about COVID. <laughs> well, and it's funny. Obviously, I saw like the parallels of climate change. But to me, it was more of just like, the literal, it was heavy handed because it's true. We could right now find out here's what's going to take us out and we would still go, Ugh. but what about that Instagram filter though? Like we don't pay attention. That's what the, I started this whole podcast. Cause I was like, I can no longer get on stage and talk about stuff that like doesn't fucking matter. And that's not to say the comedy doesn't have a place, um, also, this is when I'm changing lanes during an intersection. If you guys feel that, that's just me putting on my blinker. We're moving to a new space in the episode right now. Ooh. Oh, yeah. That's that was, what I'm here for. That Only was nice. <laughs> just it felt like some old-timey radio. Um, yeah, I, I think that there is a space for comedy and entertainment being an escape, right? And everyone's like, well, we need an escape right now. And I'm like, no, we got into this mess because all we wanted to do was escape. Yeah. This is the time to pay attention. You should, like, and I'm sorry, and I understand that everyone is fatigued and we're tired and our mental health has been tested and our everything about our existence has been tested. But that's why we're doing this. It's not a time to check out. I just thought it was a fun opportunity to laugh about it. Kind of. Oh my it was God. like, here's a parallel universe, but it is our reality and we can laugh at it. I, I just, I enjoyed that. I did. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I understand if someone was like, it was fine. I mean, there were certainly parts where I was like, I would have edited this down a little bit. And it was a little long. It was a little long. But, um, but yeah, I thought. But how it- committed was Leo's acting? I mean, I just like, I mean, story fucking aside, are we allowed to cuss? I, uh, yes. I'll tone it down. All the, cor- all the curses. <laughs> I'll behave. Uh, but I thought, I was just like, God, does Leo ever phone it in? He's always so committed. We always see that vein on his forehead. I'm just, I mean, because like, did Jennifer phone it in a little bit? I don't know. Did she? We're not sure. I don't know. I just was also, but they didn't give that character wasn't super yeah, that well. Character was just angry. Yes. Also, like sometimes I don't know. I'm like, do I want to be her so bad? I just hate her. You know. So, oh really? Yeah. You're well, a big J Law fan. Oh yeah, but you know my mother, who I sat next to during the movie, and my mom just goes, "She's such a bad actor." <laughs> I was like, mom. I think it's because like, she is great. so good at uh, not acting. You know what I looked at? You know what I said? Yeah. And I said to my mom, I was like, you don't like her because she's edgy, right? She's not, Jennifer doesn't do a, Jennifer Lawrence. People make fun of me for saying celebrities' first names like we're friends. And, oh, sure. <laughs> but manifest it. You know yeah, what I exactly. mean? So Jen, and uh, she, I was like, mom, you don't like her because she's edgy. She's not your typical Hollywood clean cut polished, right? Like she's yeah. got two nose piercings, right? You know, when I got a piercing on my ear, like the, you know, the cool industrial bar, my mom said I look like the bride of Frankenstein, you know? Oh. So, and so I look at my mom and I was like, you don't like that. And then she goes, yeah, I know. And I go, and I go, mom, that's probably why you don't like a lot of parts about me. And she goes, well, I see what I want to see. And I go, (gasps) what does that mean? I think that's my mom doesn't like to see the edgy part of me. She doesn't like to see the Jennifer Lawrence part of me. She wants to see the edited uh kind of like like she wants to see the Julia Roberts part of women not mm. not the Jennifer Lawrence mm. I feel like my, that's kind of though coming from her time 
Well, I was going to say, yeah, not to diagnose your mom on a podcast, but um, that's about your mom. It's not about you. Yeah, right. It's it's reflected onto you, but that doesn't have anything to do with you. That has everything to do with her. Yeah, that she has decided that if if you are a certain way, if you are, what's it? Did you ever? I'm going to keep naming things from the early '90s, and you're yeah. like, still don't get it. I'm yeah, not the I right guest too, for this. So, uh... um, did you ever see my best friend's wedding? Oh, great! Yeah, no, that's a Julia Roberts classic. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and there's that whole thing where she goes back and forth, and she's like, men either like Jello or creme brulee. <laughs> But you can't be both. And Cameron Diaz was like, I can be Jello. I can be Jell-O. No, you're never going to be Jello. You know, because she was, uh, Cameron Diaz was the creme brulee in this oh, absolutely. situation. So it sounds like your mom wants a little creme. Oh, yeah. But you're more Jello, baby. 100%. And so she thinks that when she watches my comedy and my Instagram at Emily Browntown, uh, she thinks I'm being somebody else. She thinks that I'm not being true to myself. Mm. Um And uh, I'm like, nope. (laughs) Can you talk more about, can you Uh, tell me a little bit more about that? I think that within, uh, since we're talking about like, you know, spirituality today, or I grew up super evangelical Christian. And um, I think there is a duality that exists within when you grow up religious or in a home full of a lot of rules where um, moral or good is, praised and like bad is like you're punished or something Mm. um but later i found out when i got out of the christian home that sometimes bad is praised and good is looked down upon i was like well i'm good at just being the best in the room so let's go but i think there's this polarity duality that exists and causes polarization of like what am i saying um that my mom just like doesn't want to see the darkness in people and you should hide that and because uh, that fixes it yeah exactly mm-hmm. you sure. should just just behave like I think I've said this so many times but like I, I my poor mom she's great great woman but our worst argument in high school I said do you want me to be myself or be a robot and she said be a robot <gasps> oh I'm so sorry I mean yeah I mean it's funny yeah it's also I, painful it's also it's so incredibly painful. crushing and painful because it's just saying like just be better like just don't be yourself like I would rather you behave that's kind of what I was raised in in Christianity it's like behaving is better than you trying and then accidentally sinning uh, yes I think it is a lot of that so okay so let's tell people right so this is why I wanted to have you on the pod first because I think you're absolutely hilarious Mm-mm. I see a lot of myself in you and I also think that um you know on a spiritual level I think a lot of what both of our souls came to learn can you tell I can't even say these things without making them like somewhat of a joke yet <laughs> I'm still not comfortable being like let's just have a conversation you're right about exactly. it. um but maybe that's okay I uh, I think a lot of what you and I are here to learn in this lifetime are very similar. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times when you share things, I'm like, oh, that's like, I'm just a little bit older than you. So I think I'm like a little bit farther ahead in like what this journey is. And even though you and I will have very different journeys and et cetera, but that's, I'm always very attracted to hearing what you're going through and talking with you. Right. Um, and I definitely want to hear a little bit just to kind of like lay the groundwork for people of what your upbringing was like to just to kind of talk about like what this transition has been like for you Mm. um but also I have a lot of um Christianity in my family and a lot of that I think you know what I have really challenged for myself 
in talking about Christianity as like one type of faith, because obviously I'm a spiritual person and I think that you can have faith in a lot of different places. I think you can identify your higher power in different places. Um, But in one aspect of faith of being like your higher power being, you know, God and through Jesus is that there are all these rules. And I I don't think that originally that's what it started out as. I mean, I think you can really have that as your faith and have it be a very positive, encouraging growth experience. I think we're the ones that have soiled it and it's become this like judgmental playground. Mm -hmm. Um, But the interesting thing for me, like hearing your mom say that, to me, all I hear is I don't want to have to look at my dark. So if my kids just, just behave then I as mom don't have to pay attention to my own darkness. I don't have to acknowledge that it exists. And as long as I don't have to acknowledge it, then we can all smile and do our family photos and call it a day. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And if you think about it, my mom didn't like, don't look up, you know? So it's sure. like, yeah, like, no, I don't want to see what's actually happening. I just want to like do my job and then get brunch with my friend and then come home, and then, like, everything just be okay, you know? And um, so I I guess uh, I don't even know where to start. Uh, I feel like my upbringing was normal, and then the more I talk about it with people, they're like, that's not normal. (laughs) That's not normal. We did not have purity pillows in our home. (laughs) What's a purity pillow? Oh, yeah, a purity pillow is something that – you hold in front of your face when you're watching the Titanic and Kate Winslet's breast comes out and your parents say purity pillow. And then you hold up the pillow in front of your face so you don't see the breast. So it's like it was a, a thing in my family that enabled us to watch at least like PG-13 movies growing up. Um, but I, I have a joke about how then I could just like hear the sex all the time. So now I just get turned on by really weird noises. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. That's very, so funny. I have a very acute sense of pound of sound. Time. That is so <laughs> funny. And you would check and you would uh, peek sometimes. Of course. And I, and I would laugh as a kid to myself. Actually, it scared me. I would look at my dad and I'd be like, wait, why is my dad watching? <laughs> why does my dad get to watch? Yeah, but that's exactly like, ah, oh, I have so many. This is why, like, I need you to talk. You're my guest because yeah. I'm, like, just going to yeah. talk so much. But... That's something that I have also never understood, which is like this idea of like, oh, well, we're older. So like we can handle like taking this thing in. And obviously, I don't think that you should expose children to like, you know, there is certainly like what a child can handle. Right. But I talk about this with Alex all the time because he's like, well, how are we going to talk to Jonah about blank? And I'm like, we're going to talk to him about it. That's how you do it. Because when you say when we have this polarization of like this is good and this is bad. Yeah. Yeah. In my opinion, there is nowhere to learn from that because I'm not allowing a child and we're not allowing each other to find our own um, like buoys. We're not finding like what works for us. So like in having that like this is good and this is bad, but not talking about anything in between or why we're acknowledging something is good or bad. No wonder so many of us that come out of Christian homes are, for lack of a better term, like fucked up. Or it takes so long to find like what your buoys are. Like something I want to circle back to. We talked a lot off mic earlier. We were just catching up and talking about this idea of like self-abandonment or like why do we do that to ourselves? Where like it's almost where if you're in a situation and all the bells and whistles are going off for you of like, oh, this is the thing. I should leave. I should leave now. It's time to leave. You sh- And then you do the thing. You're like, should have left. Should have left. Definitely was exactly what I thought it was. Should have left. Like 
why, but it's like, because we were never taught those skills because you were taught whatever you feel, you suppress and you pray about it or you don't talk about it. So you never learned any skills to actually take care of yourself. No. If you're not given the word for your knee and someone bashes your knee in, you're not going to be able to tell somebody what happened because you'd be like, I didn't even know I had a knee. And in this this analogy, that's uh, genitalia, but (laughs) your knee is that. Um, Sure, sure. But uh, I'll use this example. So when I was in third grade, um, I had some CDs and they were all bought at Christian bookstores. And like, uh, like Jump Five or Zoe Girls, they were really fun. They had sure. People. DC Talk. Did you was uh, DC Talk around? No, I think no. they were early nineties. Yeah, Sorry, they, I did it again. They were Christian. Oh yeah, it was like the first oh. like hip hop. I love. Still that. like actually pretty good. Oh yeah. Did no. you do Jars of Clay? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. And like I, I would love the thing is I would enjoy those CDs, but I also would buy CDs for five dollars, burn CDs from an older kid at school, and uh, you know, so like Britney Spears' Slave for You, Destiny's Child, Now Eleven. And uh, those CDs went behind the art of the Christian albums in my CD case. So the CD case is the perfect metaphor for my life of hiding, of hiding and, and enjoying Zoe girls or jars of clay. But then also it, you know, that feeling of pulling slave for you, you know, outside behind the art, checking to see if anyone's around putting it in my CD ROM and putting my little fluffy headphones on, you know, those, they would always fall apart, right? The, the like weird styrofoam inside that orange, you know, that thin, yeah. always like tear apart. And uh, I would like, and I wouldn't really enjoy Britney like so much. I, I mean, those, those, those four CDs, I are the only CDs really, I know like cover to cover, like every single word and backwards. And, um, but Every time I would enjoy that, I had to enjoy it with some level of guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. And so I got used to enjoying some parts of me, but I had to enjoy it with guilt and shame. And so when I got into high school and I started um, like in- enjoying the attention of like drinking Four Locos or smoking Marlboro Reds, I would also have- Wow, to- you went hard right off the jump. Oh, dude, I would- You're doing Reds and Locos? Oh yeah, I ripped off the filters of Reds, okay? I what? I was 16 ripping off filters. I was smoking cloves in water Were bottles. you a, like a minor in a past life? <laughs> I don't fucking know, dude. It was a Lutheran high school, private school. Here's the thing, when people are afraid to do something in a room, I- really would enjoy I wasn't afraid like you know so it's like that I enjoyed making people feel weird like or like um impressing them uh everybody in a room would be like you know you're a kid and someone brought like a bottle of vodka and no one tries it I would just be like I'll do it and everyone's like impressed I'm like that's what impresses you me having a sip of vodka this is easy i've been trying to get straight a's and memorizing all this shit and trying to be good 100 percent of the time for my mom to barely notice me i can have a sip of vodka and suddenly i'm the cool girl this is so much easier you know and so in high school um I started enjoying that type of attention, but I also enjoyed like church and worship and mission trips to Jamaica. And I mean, who wouldn't, you know, but uh, well, cause a lot of those things are also performance based. I was really good at it. I was really good at, and I still was, uh, would maintain my purity, you know, my sexual purity. So that made me feel like I was allowed to still be a part of the church because that was the golden rule. That's all I was raised to do was be pure. Um, not really any aspirations or 
you're going to start your own business. It was just like maybe be a pastor's wife and because I wasn't allowed to be a pastor just yet because uh, I was a woman. So I didn't really think, uh, like, I didn't really have dreams of jobs. I, like, wrote pop songs by myself and would draw, and my mom would tell me, like, Disney was the devil. And so, I like, I never thought that I could do anything. All of my dreams were always shut down because of they were they everything I wanted to do was in the sinful world and there was the this, secular world yeah. I remember I went to church camp one time and when you know when you talk about shame and I don't it's interesting now because I don't at least in my own journey I don't fault any of these adults I think I do genuinely believe that they thought that they were doing what's right and again I think there is a lot to be said about having a very strong faith. And I think it can be a really beautiful thing. I think, unfortunately, when we, you know, exist in these, like, this is good and this is bad. And a lot of people do it because it makes them feel safe. If they yeah. follow all the rules, then then everything that happens in this life, they're not necessarily responsible for. And then they get to go to heaven. Yeah. And that, and, you know, it's like some people need that structure to feel safe. And I get it. Because life is scary and dealing with all the things I talk about on this podcast is fucking scary. I, I get it. I mean, to your point, we were like, oh, all I have to do is drink vodka and then you guys think I'm fucking cool? This is way easier. I talk oh, about that all the time. Yeah. I'm like, dude, smoking cigarettes and being a high-functioning alcoholic was way easier oh my God. than my life now. Yeah. And some days more fun, if I'm being honest with you. Yeah. But also, I was never going to get to where I'm going yeah. had I kept doing that. And it's also a very secluded world. But going back to what you're talking about, like the secular world... I was going to church camp and my dad had bought me uh, magazines like for the road trip, but they were all like YM or something. And they made us like before we got in the van to go to church camp, everybody had to like turn in whatever they had that was of like the secular world. So if you brought like a cassette tape or something, jail? yeah, <laughs> and they made me and, bend over. <laughs> I mean, basically like, but I remember the feeling that I remember having wasn't, oh, they want to do this so that I'm really focusing on my faith. It was oh, I should feel ashamed because I was going to enjoy these things. And and that's the part. And, you know, you're 10. You don't know how to explain what shame feels like. But to your point where it's like, oh, I just got really good at like, like something I think you said that darkly felt so real to me where you were like, I got really good at enjoying things that made me feel shameful. It's like, Okay, so no wonder, like, as adults, then we engage in so much behavior that we know is wrong for us, and we probably even feel ashamed, but that's how we have learned to engage in something that feels good, because we never got to exercise what feels good without feeling shame. Yeah, and in Christian, in the culture that I grew up around, if you say I went out and, like, I, I use this word partying, because that's what we said, like, the conservative kids would say, oh, you party, <laughs> and then you go you live in San Francisco for a year and then you quickly learn that means other things and so but I remember the first time they were like do you party it's so classic and the next thing you know you're doing coke in the bathroom <laughs> you're like oh this is not this is not what I thought and then, and then later I took that, a sip of vodka yeah. one time in a room <laughs> and then that it's a classic night the first time I snorted some coke and then uh I tried to start a threesome and people were like who are you and I was like isn't this what the world does <laughs> wait so when so where is this in the timeline that's like after college when I was like starting over with God and I moved to San Francisco and um 
So that was that that was like a whole emotional journey when I like started. I was like 23 when the revolution happened. And it wasn't like a rebelling like people were like, "Oh, like I had been like kind of rebelling in high school. It was just basically I decided to start doing the sex thing. But so that's when my worlds collided. That's when my CD case completely burned is when I decided to stop being pure. Okay, so, so take me back to that moment then. That moment? God. That moment of me deciding that? Well, if you're you're it kind of sounds like there was one day where you're just like, I don't want to do things in secret anymore. I want to see what these feel like. How do you go from like hiding CDs to doing cocaine in a bathroom and trying to get people to do a threesome? Because okay. there's yeah. a lot, well, I would assume, a lot of steps in between oh, those yeah. places. There was a, uh, a small cult and four years of Bible college in between those times. Where'd you go to school? I went to Biola University, Bible Institute of Los Angeles. Also, but it's also a liberal arts college. So they had a great film program. That is so funny. But everybody on campus had a minor in Bible studies. And and you also have to sign a contract that you wouldn't drink even if you were over the age of 21 in even off campus. Do you... I drank less in college than I did in uh, four weekends of being 16. Wow. Yeah. I didn't drink a lot in college. After college is when I really yeah. ramped it up. I yeah. was like, yeah. we should make up for lost time. <laughs> um Well, something I just want to put in your brain, I want to hear more, I want to stay on this train, but something I was thinking about, which is like, what are the things from the Bible? Because I'm assuming that you know it quite well. The Bible. Yeah, I've read it a lot. A a few times. I used to read it every day uh, for hours. What are the things from, this is something that I'm going to ask you now, because I'm here and I'm not going to edit this out. Um, But we can circle back to at the end, which is like, what are the things from Christianity that you feel like you still value, if any? You don't have to answer now. Yeah, no, they're coming back slowly. I'm like six years sober of Christianity, and it's this year that I really started to miss uh, praying, which does... um, I get the same feeling of when I read someone's tarot cards as when I used to prophesy over people, like praying, praying wise. I used to... That was my favorite part about church, really, was like laying on hands on people I didn't know and looking into their eyes and like literally telling them who they are, um, which you and I can do, but uh, which is, I think just some humans have this skill, but when you do it in the name of God, I mean, it's pretty cool. <laughs> well, that's what's so wild to me. It honestly feels like magic. I loved it. But it is. And it's also like, God, there's so many things I want to say. This is where I was like, uh, do you just want to sleep over? This conversation is going to be so long, you guys. Um, with different like spiritual practices, like I always grew up being like, yeah, like if I would have talked about tarot when I was little, like, yeah, no. in my house, it would have been like, that's like oh, the devil's. So demonic. I wasn't even allowed to really do yoga. Uh, that was demonic when I started doing that. And uh, my dad said meditation was of Satan because you are clearing your mind and you should always be praying without ceasing and always have God on your mind. I mean, that's insane because Absolutely. to me, it's also where it's like the the humans wanting to dictate what God is, is the most human thing yeah. I can think of. We as humans think that we have just figured out what God is and how and how we're going to communicate and that everybody is going to do it the exact same way. Wait a minute. God who created the heavens and the earth mm-hmm. in seven days, you motherfuckers. Yeah. You think that that he designed everybody that we're all going to acknowledge him, I say in quotes, in the same way? Hilarious. Hilarious that we think that. 
And and, and it, now I'm, I'm finding that I'm like angry. I'm like, what is that? Where it's like the more that someone's like, this is what God is and everything else. Now, I definitely believe in light and dark. I do believe that like I don't do dark magic. I think that there there is definitely things out there that exist that are of, quote unquote, the devil or things that are dark. Certainly. Yeah. But any it's all about intentionality. Because the amount of Christians whose intention is not to help and is not about light and is not about creating a sense of love for people, you know, and then in the, I mean, just the idea to me that anybody would say that meditation is of the devil. I'm like meditating is the most pure way, one of the most pure ways to sit in silence and connect with God in whatever way that you identify a higher power. And it doesn't even have to be spiritual. It's literally like restarting your computer. It's literally your brain is, you know, moving and it's tired and you literally just stop. Stop. It's like, it's like, it's like unclenching your butt. Like you're listening right now, just unclench your butt. Release your butthole. Yeah, and then you're like, oh, wow, I didn't even know I was clenching. <laughs> wow, thanks for that. It's like when people are like, relax, and you're like, no, really, like, just like even my shoulders right now, it's like, just relax. And you're like, whoa, didn't know. Well, uh, I changed my my bio on Instagram now. It just says, <laughs> relax your jaw. Really? Oh, yeah. that's, oh that's really funny. Because, oh, or unclench your jaw. Yeah, that's what I mean, with masks right now, too. Yes, because I'm just like, I also think like, the amount that I think so many of our like third chakras, yeah. if you don't do chakras, just stay with me. Your third chakra is your throat chakra. And that's where like you, you speak from. And so many of us, I think it's been so clogged or like backed up. I mean, think about all the times of things. Something I'm really working on is like only saying something if it's absolutely true to me. Which A is good because clearly <laughs> mama loves to talk um, and like share my thoughts and ideas and observations yeah. um, in all of the places. Online, digitally, see me in person, talk to me, call me, FaceTime me. Like I have a lot to say. I'm definitely an expressor. But it's also slowed me down to be more intentional of like really thinking before. It really is that of like thinking before I speak because so much of what we say does dictate our world. Anyway. I want to say, first of all, like I have so much respect for what you do because my heart is layered in apathy and bitterness because I did used to speak so confidently when I was a Christian. Being a Christian was my favorite thing. I was so good at it. I rose up in leadership when I was young. Like I, you know, I loved prophetic words. I was just really good. I'm really good when there's rules. That's why I really struggle like being an artist in Los Angeles because people are like, make it up. It's your own path. And I'm like, just tell me what to do. I know. Just Ugh. tell me what to do and I could do it the best. That's the Taurus so, in me. I'm yeah. like, I need a path, baby. I know, exactly. So I will say too, um, I've had people ask me why I lost my faith. I had a guy reach out to me. I posted this on Instagram like midnight. I hadn't talked to him in six years. He was a friend of the church when I was younger. We grew up together in the church. And, uh, <laughs> And uh, he, he was like, Hey, and I was like, Oh, hi. Like I used to, he was my first kiss. Like I was like, how did he, I was uh, in love with was his him. name Blake? Uh, Josh. Oh, uh, of course. Point guard of the basketball team. Maybe. Oh, he sounds cute. Oh, he was really cute. And he like made out with girls and stuff. And now he's like a pastor and has two kids and stuff. So he turned his life around. Baby. Oh, but he, um, he, Pastor Josh. Oh, Pastor Josh. Okay. Anyway. Oh my God. He, uh, Broke my heart. Uh, we like made out and I did not know how to French kiss. And he definitely probably never wanted to get uh, his soul sucked out of his throat again. <laughs> I just like, I don't know. I just got right on top, you know, and just like, I just thought kissing was sticking your tongue as far down someone's throat as possible. 
Sure. And it hasn't changed. I'm the same way. Sure, uh, sure, 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 sure. <laughs> and so uh, he hit me up. It's like midnight. I'm really drunk. Uh, was I really drunk? I don't know. Um, probably. And I was pretty tipsy. And he said, uh, hey, I was just wondering. I've been watching some of your comedies. <laughs> um, I'm just wondering why you left your faith. And he said, I see that you mentioned that you were assaulted. And I was just wondering if it had anything to do with that. I'd tell you, Rachel, I've never been more upset in my whole entire life. Um, a guy that I used to like who's in the church and his beautiful wife is sleeping with his two kids reaches out to me, brings up my assault, which is the most unsexy conversation ever. Sure. Not something, I'm so over it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> We've moved on. Like, I don't fucking care. Let's talk about how bad men are at sex and not less about women getting abused. I don't care anymore. Yeah. We get it. La, la, la. Okay. So you see, anyway, so he- You sound very over it. Yeah, I see. Yeah. It's this layer of apathy. This is what I'm talking about. It's there. And so uh, he brings that up and he says, oh, I, he's like, I was like, I'm sorry, Josh. I have not talked to you in six years. How about, hey, what's up? Um, and you're bringing this up. Like, I'm just having like a good night and you're bringing this up out of nowhere. Um, and don't DM me at midnight yeah, exactly. while your wife is asleep. Exactly. Inappropriate. Thank you. And oh, no, he said, when did you lose your faith? And I said, the moment we kissed, obviously, which I thought ha, was funny. funny. And um, but he he said, oh, I just thought because you talk about it in comedy that you, you can joke about it with anybody. <laughs> and I was like, that's not how comedy works. And um, also he said, I was just wondering if you were sick of the rules. And it made me so sad because... I don't live the way I do. I'm a pretty like sexually open person. Um, I I used to have a sex education podcast. I I will date couples. I'll date men in open marriages. I I don't even view myself though as super sexual. I view I'm literally just trying to find the rules. I'm like if I don't believe that like monogamy is the way. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like trying to logically figure it out. But people see now he sees me as somebody who just wants. Who, who hates rules and just wants to rebel. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? The difference? Yeah. I'm not choosing a life. Why would I choose a life uh, that abides by these rules if I think those rules aren't logically sound? So it was it, it made me feel like a, a slut instead of a smart person. Mm. That makes sense. Mm. That's, mm. I got to just sit with that for a second. Uh -huh. that's, that's a meal. Yeah. The first thing that, you know, if I'm, I feel like we need to dissect this for a minute. That's uh -huh. pretty, I mean, again, a man who's married messaging you about anything regarding something sexual at night, yeah. to me, inappropriate. Inappropriate. First and foremost, he inappropriate. He was writing a sermon and then got distracted, started watching my comedy. <laughs> Which is hilarious. And also, if you're listening, Pastor Josh, you can follow me at Rachel LaForce. I will always take another follower. You know what I mean? And I would also love to have you on the podcast. And that's an actual real offer. So get at me. But um, inappropriate, number one. Um, number two, it is so interesting. I mean, I would obviously come back and do the podcast again and we can just talk about like the math of comedy and having a life that centers around comedy because you're right. No one knows what the boundaries are. Like people yeah. assume, right? Like you get off stage and like, if you talk about something like people want to connect with you, which is good. That means that your comedy was working. Right. Yeah. But sometimes you're like, I don't, this is not an open forum now. Like that was no. me doing my job. And now, you know, like 
I understand why a lot of comics are, excuse me, not super um, open once they get off stage. You know, there's kind of that almost like you kind of subconsciously pull your shoulders in a little bit and kind of cower over because you are, you're shut off. You just gave everything you can up there. You shared so much of yourself, if you're doing it correctly, mm-hmm. in my humble opinion. Yeah. Um, that when you come off stage, like, you are not open. It's not, this is now not a, you know, an AMA, as it were. Well, like, this is not office yeah, hours. And, right. And also, my office hours are closed at midnight unless you um, and I have an agreement of some sort. So, but when I get off a stage, like, because you have people who come up to you and they're, they're so excited that they resonate with you and then they start talking to you about their own trauma and you're like oh I have nothing to give you right now and I'm so sorry we don't know each other but um I would love to like I don't know it's it's hard because I for one thing I love like fans or what, obviously like or, like people who listen that's incredible can't do this without you but at the same time like um all of you would be too much to handle like yeah. individually one-on-one. And I, yeah, I hope you can just take that information and give that to your friends or your partner or your family. Like, but I do the same thing. You see someone and they say something that resonates and you want to open up to them and stuff, but it's just like, it's also a trust thing. I don't know if I'm safe. It's a, it's an, Oh, thing. that's a big yeah. one. Well, that's yeah. why I always just say, thank you for sharing. Yeah. I'm glad it resonated. Those yeah. are my two that I almost always say, especially even with like Instagram and stuff, yeah. because you know, anything you can and say will be held against you in the court of Twitter at this point. And I think that's true of real life too. Like, I I don't know somebody, I don't know their background. I don't know. Like I I am, you know, I always say like, I'm not a therapist. I am not, I'm not certified to be speaking about any of this. Another thing though, if you want to be friends, like, you know, if you have a a fan who comes out to like three of your shows. That's true. The way that we met was because immediately after my show, you came up to me (laughs) and you go, and you seriously were like, who are you? I want to be your friend. Okay, guys, so this thing that just happened, <laughs> it's now Rachel and I became friends. So, But to be fair, you are a comic, and so yeah. that was different. Where... Yeah, but I could have not been that funny. You didn't know. You'd never seen me before. That's true. So there was a level of, like, trust, but you probably followed me on Instagram. You stalked me, you know, did a background I mean, check. maybe, but then I did be like, hey, let's get coffee, and then you read my tarot okay, cards. Okay, guys, so, so... so this is, like, one of those things where guys are like, girls are like, I hate it when guys come up to me and just hit on me, but if you're hot, then it's okay. Yeah. So basically if you're a fan and you're cool, okay, say hi, you know? <laughs> yeah. I know. But I do, I, I mean, I think it is, it's boundaries. It's knowing what's appropriate. And I will always say that people, at least I'll speak for myself, always love that their art is acknowledged, especially, yes. you know, like there is nothing better. I was, um, oh, I was in line seeing Moses Storm's latest special oh, and so two different people came up to me I haven't been noticed for comedy since I lived in Chicago, okay? Yes. And I was, this woman come, and she goes, um, I know this is really weird, but like, did, um, do you have a character named Tracy? And I was Stop. like, oh my gosh, I'm yes. Dead. And she was like, they saw me at your show. Shut yes. up. Yes. Oh and they God. were like, we saw you at Emily Browning's show. You're so funny. And I was like, oh, oh my God. gosh, like, thank you so much for saying something. And, um. And then later in the line, someone else came over and they're like, hey, we saw you. Are you Rachel Force? And I was like, I am. But then I was also like, I should be like, who's asking? They could have served me papers, you know, but I was riding high. (laughs) I'm like, they're going to like my comedy. Um, I've only been noticed one time. Okay, I was on a bus in San Francisco and I was with a friend and this girl, two girls in front of me, they keep like looking back and they turn around. They go, are you a comedian? 
And I go, yeah. They're like, is your name Emily? I go, yeah. And I'm feeling cool in front of my friend. They're like, oh, my God, we saw your show, and, like, we love you. And I, I'm, like, kind of showing off to a friend, and I'm like, oh, yeah, where'd you see me? And they were like, at that laundromat. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, man. Tight. <laughs> That's um similarly, I don't remember if I told you this. If I did, just still laugh really loud. No. <laughs> I okay, so obviously I have a six month old and it's a pandemic, so we've barely left our house, right? Well, a buddy of mine, this must have been like a lull in COVID cases in LA. And I'm like three months postpartum and go to a buddy's birthday party and decided to eat, I think I ate like a, you know, two and a half milligram like CBD mint or something. So just loose enough, you know, and after like 10 months of being like stone cold, like sober, sober, not even like Tylenol or anything, you know, oh I'm like, God. I'm feeling myself. It's like a nice sunny day. Okay. I actually did my hair and makeup and it's at this brewery and I'm just like feeling myself and I get up to go to the restroom and there's this very attractive man sitting at a, like a um, high top table near the restroom and I notice him clocking me. Like the whole way. And I'm walking and I'm like, still got it. Ah! And like, get up to where this guy is. And he's literally been like kind of eyeing me the whole way. I'm like, oh my, okay, okay. You know, postpartum, hi. And I'm going to walk right past him. And just as I'm walking past him, he leans over and he, and as he leans in, I'm like, here we go. And he leans over and he just goes, ma'am, your cell phone light is on. And I literally just like skip past him and I go, cool, cool, cool. And walk into the bathroom. And I'm like, not only, not only did he stop me, but it was like the lean in and then ma'am. That's what he hit me with. Ma'am, your cell phone flashlight is on. That's what it was. I, so I'm like walking like with my phone and it's probably fucking blinding everybody in this brewery. Ma'am, your cell phone flashlight is on. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. So yeah. Funny. That's very real. Um, so, yes, uh, if you see people in person, tell them uh, that you like their stuff within reason. You know what I mean? If someone's like at dinner with their family, don't go over and be like, can I have a picture with you? Um, but, uh, okay, so uh, Pastor Josh. Yeah. Uh, doesn't understand the boundaries of comedy and what we can talk about. And then what I really want to get into is like, did you get tired of the rules? Let me say this. Yeah. If I'm going to stand by anything, if you're listening to this, Turn this up so it was louder into headphones, okay? If I'm going to say anything on this podcast, if there's anything that you're doing and you have to abide by rules, get out. Whether it's a relationship, a job, any sort of like relational agreement, if there are like, and I'm not talking about boundaries, I'm talking about rules. It's like you're allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do this. That is nowhere where your spirit is supposed to be. Because if I know anything... I know that the number one reason why we're here is to teach each other and to help each other and to evolve and to grow. And you know how you don't do that is say setting rules with people. I second that. And uh, because anything, every environment you are in, you should be, have the freedom to question. 100%. fear. And that was not the environment I grew up. People did not have the freedom to question. You were said to have a demon, a spirit of doubt within you. So that means, okay, how does that make you feel? Every time you ask a question, you feel like a, a demon is inside of you. Well, it's gaslighting. Yeah. I mean, I spent half my life thinking I was possessed by a demon. I had people pray demons out of me. And guess what? You know when demons stop talking to me? The moment I stopped talking to them. Yeah. They used to haunt me in my dreams, in my room. I would, I literally thought, like, I would look in the mirror 
having pan attacks, thinking demons were staring back at me, like in my eyes. Like mm. I, it was just like so. The amount of times I have lied on the floor and praying to God that my salvation was not lost and that I could come back and be forgiven for what making out with a boy. <laughs> That's fucking crazy. That that was like the worst thing because purity did feel like the worst thing, and. I'm really getting into it, but I was a good girl. I felt like my whole life and I abided by all the rules and to like trigger warning here for people. But for my first sexual real sexual experience was unconsented. And for me to work so hard to be so good and then have a night like that and then have people at a Bible study tell me, well, Emily, you chose to be there. Like, what are you, there is, there is not much space for women who have undergone, or men, or men, uh, who have undergone that abusive situation. The fact that that could happen, and you're still even just talking about sex, it's like, that's not what sex is. That has nothing to do, that has nothing to do with with a sexual experience. That's, that is just absolutely one body just hurting another body. Like, and which I've never really put that together before. Um, So it's just like my anger towards the church about um, not addressing these weird, like, uh, middle grounds of um, gray areas, not addressing these gray areas and creating a safe space to have dialogue around them. Uh, The, and the glorification of women's purity, specifically women's purity, uh, felt really weird to me. And I, I just had a z- almost a zero tolerance by the time I was 23 and out of school. And I, I couldn't handle it anymore. I mean, I still feel like the... I even had someone relatively close to me recently talk about how in their Bible study they were talking about um, why women are not allowed to speak in the church. <laughs> and and really were like... oh, like They were sharing this with me as though they were teaching me something. And I was filled with such rage that all I could say immediately, I go... That I, I just go, that's insane. And then walked away because I was like, first of all, this isn't a teachable moment. This isn't the time that like me offering you counter information that your entire existence is a Christian. You're going to go, oh my God, you're right. So that statement, do you know the context behind that statement that she's saying? It's a, it's from a letter, I believe in Corinthians in the New Testament. Here we go. Bible uh, knowledge. Yeah. Hit me, baby. Yeah, of uh, Apostle Paul, um, who, by the way, before he started, uh, writing letters to churches in jail for proselytizing Jesus. He also killed Christians for many years. And so, but he was a changed man. So just the fact that the majority of the new Testament is uh, written by this guy, that's fine. Um, it's okay. Hundreds. Of he didn't get canceled. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, Chris D'Elia is still doing shows. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean? Him and apostle Paul, yeah. that's actually the name of his next special. that's coming out on Netflix. If you didn't know that apostle Paul with Chris D'Elia. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, uh, sorry, I've just spent too much of my life uh, forgiving men too quickly, so I just like have like a little bit of bitterness. Um, so this Apostle Paul from jail was writing to churches to help them form because the new religion was just starting, so home churches and Jesus followers were trying to congregate and stuff. And so one time he wrote that that, um, that a lot of men's wives during meetings were speaking and it derailing the conversations and that the women should just save those comments for the home. So it's literally the same as like being in a sketch comedy, like, 
like brainstorming session now where like if I go to say something and the men talk louder than me and then I say something and then they repeat it and they all go, oh, yes, good idea. Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, so it's literally, it's the same thing. So so because of this cool, cool, one cool. letter, so that statement that is going over across so many churches is from one letter that was written um, over 1,800 years ago. And I just... 1800 years ago we don't even like trends remember the mirror trend where people swipe on the mirror and spray bottle that's so funny change. is is we the dress blue or is the dress oh yeah, remember that like, one yeah what are you 70 like oh, we don't even God. like and we are quoting we are quoting letters from over a thousand years ago from something that was trending that's how the canon of scripture that's what got me in bible college first of all we had to start this certain Bible class by just agreeing that the Bible was inerrant without flaw. He said, if we we cannot agree to that, then we can't move forward. So, but that in and of itself, I'm sorry. That's the thing that makes me so crazy. Even now when I speak about this of like, this isn't to say this is not me questioning. It's also not me challenging Christianity. No, but what it is, but what it is doing is saying, if you for a second, the, the the higher power, the God that you are praying to, and also let's just think about Jesus's life, okay? This was a brown man just walking around being like, hey, I think I can heal you and here's how. Like if that's not the most radical. Oh, so I mean, uh, this is my favorite explanation about what Jesus did. Who did Jesus yell at? He yelled at the Pharisees. He yelled at the leaders of the church. Fantastic for being complete hypocrites because what the church was doing at the time take god's law you have god's law okay say that god's law is a tree then the church came along and god was like don't touch the tree and the church was like okay don't touch the tree wait to make it safer let's build a gate around the tree and now the new law is don't touch the gate does that make sense Mm. so 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 now we have humans saying what god's law is when really humans are just so afraid of making a mistake, they have created hundreds of new laws to not break God's law. A lot of fear around that. So Jesus came in and was like, your gates are ridiculous. Your gates are abomination to the creator of the universe. Like I demand you take your gates down and you stop putting all these rules on these people and taking away their money and, and you know, doing all this stuff. Like Jesus was yelling at the church. He was a rebellion. And he gave women a voice. The first person he ever commanded to teach was a woman at the well who wasn't even a Jew. She was a Gentile. And he said, you go back to your city and you tell them what I did for you. A woman telling to teach. And a woman was naked in the street because back then in adultery, the women were stoned, not the men. Of course. And he says, and he comes out and says, you without sin cast the first stone. Like some people predict that the reason why Rome killed Jesus was because he was speaking for women and for the civil rights of the people and against the Jewish, the Jewish church at the time. He was a Jew. But, you know, that is how, what the fuck? Like, but that's what I mean, that our ability to, to take all of the, I mean, that's what I always say. I'm like, to me, you know, when I talk about these spiritual practices and things like that and healing, when I mean, you were talking about prophesizing and putting your hands on somebody and being able to really connect to something much yeah. deeper. And, and I, 
know that that's real. I've seen it and I have experienced it. And it's like, that is what Jesus was wanting to teach us. That's what he was wanting to say. There is this God, there is this thing that's bigger than you and it is divine and you can access it, but you cannot access it with all of these things that you guys have created and think work. They are not, they are false. Yeah. And the fact that here we are all these years later doing the opposite of what he came here to teach us is the part for me that I'm like, I cannot, I can no longer sit. I mean, so much of why I've been scared to even have this podcast is still residual shame and that I don't want to let my family down that thinks differently than me, that I'm scared that they're going to look at me and go, oh, well, she's this or she's that. And I've had to be like, I am 35 years old. I'm two years old. It was Jesus was 33 when he was, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, which is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, very divine number. Anyway, different. Also, people lived to what forty back then. Yeah, I know. So he did pretty well. Uh, whether he was taken out against he his will or late, otherwise. Honestly, he started late. But isn't that why it's never too late? Yeah, you know what exactly. I mean. Even you can get crucified. Uh, probably on Twitter, not in real life, but still. Uh, I think his stint only lasted like three years. So. Oh, him and James Dean. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sad. Anyway, I. <laughs> but I do. I think. That's what I always go back to. And there's a lot of spiritual teachers that I've really learned a lot from that talk about that too. And they're like, the Bible is filled with people who had their own spiritual experiences that we're now all trying to mimic, Mm. which is the opposite of what a true spiritual experience is. That we're all trying to, again, it's this human thing and it is so blatant and alive. And the fact that more of us, especially folks that are even in the church right now, are not saying there is a different way to do this. And there is a way that is much more empowering. There is a way that connects us closer and faster to to God, to our spiritual sense. And we are ignoring that by being Pastor fucking Josh, texting people and DMing them at midnight shit that's inappropriate and isn't about the thing. Well, I mean, preach, Pastor Rachel. And Thank you so, so much. But something that what got me uh, to stop kind of going to church, which I don't think is a bad thing, I would like to reiterate that. There's plenty of Christians I know that go to church. and ha- I mean, I think church does community so freaking well. I don't know why we That's can't. why so many people it's stay. so great. But um, the Bible, the canon of Scripture, wasn't, wasn't put together until hundreds of years that Jesus was gone. And I don't think I really processed that until like my early 20s. And I was like, wait, Jesus had nothing. To, wait, what? The, wait, the Bible? Wait, why don't I know the names of the dudes that sat around and chose the Bible? But basically all these books were being passed around from city to city to city. And basically the books that became popular were the ones that were chosen for the canon. And there's tons of gospels that were not included because they did not go with the message that they were aiming for at that time. Shocker. Everybody has an editor, okay? You've heard it here first. Yeah, like, oh, guys, we would put in this gospel where people believe that uh, Jesus was cool, but he wasn't the son of God, so let's not put it in. Because, you know, that's not trendy, okay? So I realized when I realized that God is, I was like, wait, God has made the universe stars, comets, everything. Wait, the book is the only tangible thing he made, like the only physical thing that he left behind, this, this book. And so it just, I started like spiraling and asking a lot of questions and about why I was glorifying the scripture. I mean, Christians are still debating on like if the world is over... (laughs) like what, 8,000 years old or something? Like some people, like the thought that like the book of Genesis about creation could be a poem was like crazy at the time. I'm like, it totally could be. Have you read poetry? Yeah. And like uh, some people just disagree that um, 
that the like the Bible has to be like so true and literal. I'm like, we don't read anything that literally. But it's still it's still the and I always say this, which is, it's the perfect example of clinging, of uh, cross correction, of us being as humans unwilling because again, so many people create their entire identity around being good. So if you present those people with anything of just going, this also can just be a thing that lives in your heart and is a way that guides you and is a way that guides you through the world. But it doesn't, it isn't an end all be all. It isn't about rules. A spiritual experience is the opposite of rules. Mm -hmm. That's why it's euphoric. That's why it feels like you're attached to something bigger than yourself because you are. And there isn't a way to tap into it of like, do this, do this, and then it works. But if you present people with that, that's why they are sitting around. That's why this person close to me was like, this is why women shouldn't speak in church. That's so funny. I mean, insanity. Absolute insanity. It's true. Because people, do. it goes back to the beginning of this when you're talking about your mom where she was like, I'd rather you be a robot than be you. Because that is easier to process. Um, it's easier to process for sure. And I think I think the only reason why I was able to enjoy my spirituality as much as I did in my college years was because I wasn't it wasn't cool to have sex and drink in the communities I was in, so I was avoiding those things. Um, and it's it's literally like as long as you don't do those things, you're good. So I had a clear conscience, so I could so I could just explore. Uh, scripture and prophecy and dreams and drawings and music and like all this stuff through the God lens that I was doing at the time. But I think like when I started being a full human and enjoying the full human experience, I, all of that other stuff felt like I wasn't allowed in, in my head because now other people are, because in their minds, they're like, there's no way that Emily could be a spiritual good person if she's, uh, had a threesome before that's crazy like I'm like why animals do it all the time <laughs> I don't know yeah like it's just like why like just the judgment of that is so um it's so severe uh well so it's severe. also so human to think that our version of purity or our version of good thus everyone else should be judged upon well Christian yeah everyone else should be yeah so my I mean why would anybody any human uh-huh. even want to be responsible for carrying that weight. Oh, That's God. so much of why I have tried to really vehemently let go of my judgment. Cause I'm like, I don't even want that responsibility. You know what I mean? Like, what no, I, thank you. Yeah. What I yelled at, um, Josh for, by the way, if you ever hear this, Josh, like, I'm sorry, but also, you know, Josh, come on the pod, brother. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. He's such a, he's such a fun speaker. He's so cute. Um, RIP. Um, what am I saying? My father joined Christianity because it was almost also like a sober movement. It was the Jesus movement in mm-hmm. Southern California in like the 70s. People were over Vietnam War and uh, and LSD and like they were tired. You yeah. Know? And it was like, uh, so Christianity was like this fun new coven to join and it was like super cool to be a straight edge and get sober. And so I feel like I grew up in uh, AA, which was Great. And then I was like, wait, dad, I don't feel like I have a problem. Uh, but something big about evangelical Christianity that I found when I would evangelize, which is like going out and passing out flyers for Jesus and stuff and trying to get people to come to church. It's a lot like sales. Um, it was, in fact, it's the number one thing to sell. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Salvation. If I, if I get 10% of your salary, like, well, I don't get it, but like the church does. Yeah. They're gonna, they're gonna be like, go out there. Yeah. 10%. 
Oh my God. That means like, like a church in Orange County where everyone's making like a hundred thousand plus a year and you get 10% of every mother effing family that comes through the doors. Yeah. And I went to church in a gym. Oh, wow. You guys are saving money. Wow. Yeah. Where is that money going? Well, and they don't pay taxes, but that's a different story because uh, my oh, stepmom, my, my parents, God. my stepmom and my dad go to, I actually really uh, like this church. It's a big mega church in Arizona. And uh, we were talking about that because I was like, the amount of money where I was asking my dad, I was like, where does the church like tithe? Where do you guys give back? Like, you know, where is this money going? Because something that I always take issue with, with churches where it's like this idea of like missionary work and going to all these other places. But these mega churches are, you know, stones throw away, stones throw away from neighborhoods living in complete poverty. Mm -hmm. And very rare this is not always true but very rarely are they like really like getting to know their neighbors going in there and doing what i identify is the work of god and really that doing is, the work of jesus yeah. and instead being like we sent money to like poor black children that don't have you know buttons on their shirts in africa which is good sure like donating and doing that but like it feels it just feels to me like virtue signaling it just still feels like the same thing of like look at us we gave money to these people who like you know we put this little thing on our refrigerator and we can feel good about ourselves because we donate $10 a month when no. it's like, you know what else you could do is like, you know, volunteer for two hours a week and help teach a kid to read, you know, whose parents aren't at home. Like, I don't know. Anyway. Uh, no, my, um, going back, I had a lot of amazing youth pastors. I think that's what kept me around too in the church, like really giving people, uh, my still to this day, my, junior high youth pastor and all of all of them of course like left the churches or got fired because they weren't like really enough yeah I had a church I had a youth pastor like that he they had um differences about how to like be hang out with the kids I had one youth pastor and he he just like would hang it was just like open door policy they had this like cool room like with like a pool table and different stuff and like kids could just come hang out yeah and then like sometimes he would give like a kind of kind of like a sermon but it was mainly like a hang it was like a safe space to just be around and I think the church I don't know just like didn't like it <laughs> or didn't like that like kids who were known as being bad kids were around don't even get me started but yeah, but which I, is definitely the opposite of Jesus's work because he didn't hang out with any sinners. Yeah, so yeah, yeah it's really yeah, good too. Mary Magdalene was definitely not like a modern day stripper with yeah. a following. Like she totally was. She for sure would have an OnlyFans. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, for sure. And um, th yeah, the equivalent of taking your hair down because Mary Magdalene, she washed her, washed Jesus's feet with her hair with like expensive perfume. And that story is the equivalent. Which also, can we talk about just how like exotic and erotic oh that is? In front of people? I, I mean, mean come on. I know. And he just let it happen. Like him just sitting back, you know? I mean, because back then people's feet too were like walking in like shit all day. Yeah. You know, because they're wearing these sandals. And so she's just like cleaning it. But for a woman to take down her hair, that's equivalent of like a woman being in her bikini. So yeah. like, just think about that. Jesus. But what I was going to say is my childhood youth pastor is currently living in low income housing with an adopted child and like lives amongst the people he helps. Like he lives with them. You and that is that, that to me is true. That is that is truly doing the work of Jesus, in my opinion, and yeah. like not not exalting. Like I don't I don't mean to be flippant with this language, but I do feel like so much of spirituality and these things there it's supposed to be applicable. We're supposed to be doing these things. We're not supposed to be like you know planning these mission trips so we can just like post pictures later on our Instagram and people can just like give us a pat on the back of how great we are. And we're not supposed to just be like you know 
build, if we're not actively doing the work and doing the work in a way that challenges us and, and demands something of us, we're not learning anything. What are we, I talked to my dad about this last time that, um, the, the church they go to, there was actually a really good sermon about, they, they did a series and, um, you know, it was talking about, uh, you know, communication and really utilizing like your unique voice and things like that. And, and that's what I was, I was like, I would push that even further and being like, yes, if we are not challenging each other, if we're not, if we are not feeling our growth edges, if we're not, then we're not doing the work. We're not doing the work. It is easy to stay inside your bubble and stay in every, in, in these lines of what is good and bad, quote unquote. And be like, I'm a good Christian. No, no, everything. No. Once you realize that everything you do is a contradiction, that we are wearing clothes built by nine-year-olds overseas, and we're eating animals that have been brutally slaughtered and raped, and we, I, it goes We on. spend our entire days on our phones that are made by children in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From, and then that take, that made from special rock inside of this earth that we are stealing from and will one day collapse. I, I This is why I'm so apathetic as an adult, and it, it breaks my heart. I just, like, I... I have to fight to find I'm in this phase right now of choosing to not live like I'm dead. Right. Because I have must matter because like, if I had a friend just like disappear, this is so dark, but just like off themselves, I'd be like, they still had a voice, but I don't know why for me, I'm like, there's n- it just feels like hopeless, but it's not, it's, it's just, it's it honestly pulling back eases my pain and anxiety. If I pull back and I go, everything is a contradiction. Everything has been built off of war and conquering everything. Then you can go, nothing I do truly matters. So therefore, if I just do the basics, I love myself. I love my neighbor. I I make a child laugh. I get up on stage and I do what I think. Like, does this make sense? Like building blocks? Like once I, once I, I just every... To me, I have lived a life where every worldview I ever thought, my reality was completely destroyed. That's like the equi- like the the mental game. I lived a lie. I was the I was Dolores in the robot show. What was yeah, it called? Westworld. Westworld. I, I felt, like robot show though. Yeah, yeah robot mm-hmm. show. So when I watched robot show, I related to the robots. And when they discovered that when I'm plot like this is a uh what's the word? Spoiler, Spoiler. alert. So yeah. go blah 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 or whatever. Um uh, when I when when Dolores realized that that it was her voice the entire time, that's literally what I experienced. I was like, wait, I'm not talking to the devil and demons in my flesh, God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. That's f- six voices in my head at all times. So when I lost that, I didn't know what to do. And so now I'm just kind of like rebuilding. Where am I going with this? It's sad. We live in a sad place. <laughs> but I also... <laughs> A, thank you for sharing all that because it's a lot to share. And doing my podcast is a lot of heavy lifting and I appreciate you. Oh, yeah. So do you see how serious I am? But when I talk about religion, I get so serious because this was like, I have so much grief wrapped around it. But I also think you're just not, may I offer you some feedback? Sure. I, I also think that, you know, you're still like, you said you left the church quote unquote, like that's like six years ago. Yeah. Okay. So think of like a six-year-old child, Right. you know, a six-year-old is still like, they're capable of a lot of things, but they're still like, they still need parenting. And I think I always think about myself in that way where I'm like, okay, so I've, you know, 
been sober and made these choices for four years, right? Or sober from alcohol and for four years. And like, and what that means for me and like my own sense of spirituality, et cetera. And so sometimes when I'm like, I should be further along or I shouldn't be fearful of this thing. It's like, I'm a four-year-old. I'm a four-year-old in that way. I've learned to figure out my own voice in four years. I'm still terrified. I'm honestly terrified every single time I put a podcast episode out. That's crazy. But at the same time, I have this feeling of like, to your point where you're like, what is it worth? If I don't do this, then what is it worth? Because I genuinely believe that I was put here for whatever reason to share these things. And that's not to say that other people don't have beautiful things to share and things like that. But like, I know that now. And for 35 years, I've run around being like, what am I supposed to do? And I'm trying all these things and I'm funny and I want to be on TV and I want to do this. And I want to do that. And now I'm like, oh, it's actually the most simple and easy thing I know how to do, which is talk. And so just talk. And so I think, you know, for you, if it's been six years and it is, that's your whole life and it's your family and it's your, like, it is the core of who you are. It's also, you know, you have survived like trauma and like physical trauma done to your body. The amount of like body work that it would even take to like really exercise that out of your system and out of your body is so much work alone. Like really give yourself the sense of like, grace and 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 give yourself that of like you know every time you have that feeling of like how much more can you love yourself how much more can you give grace back to the part of you that that wasn't able to accept it you know at the time because that is what healing is and that's how you allow yourself to grieve and to grow so that you know I really in hearing you share this stuff this time around I genuinely believe I believe that your greatest gift uh, is being an orator. I think there is still a place that exists somewhere in your future where, I mean, I know you're like me where you're super creative and you're always creating different things. I think that will always be a part of what you do. But I think you do have that thing, which similar to me, where like I thought I was being groomed in young life. Like I thought I was going to be a youth pastor there. That's what I used to do because you got to do sketches. So fun. So I would do all my uh, Chris Fol- uh, Chris Farley impressions. Shut up. Oh, yeah. When I was in high school and I got to do the main sketches at Young Life, oh, yeah. I mean, it was my Broadway, okay? Oh, my God. I had arrived. I will say it was still very funny. It is on tape somewhere. Um, we need it. We really do. And so, you know, I've always felt that way too of like, you know, you're, there is a reason I believe, and this is just my belief, of like why we have the circumstances that we have in this life. And that doesn't mean that we should, you know, praise the abuse or different circumstances. It's not a toxic positivity, but it is, I think, within our own journeys of being able to heal from what we've experienced, what we've participated in, and also what's happened to us against our wanting. Um that being able to heal from those things and then talk about them and share them because you have this thing on stage where like we can't take our eyes off you like we you know not a lot of people have that we know a lot of very very funny people but there's not you're one of those people where like you could get on stage and what was that the um the famous story of Robin Williams because he was uh accused of stealing jokes which more or less I think he kind of was but he would look at people and be like I'm funnier than you here's money for it and he would take their jokes and so um but one of the things was somebody because that kept happening and he was like I bet I can read the dictionary on stage and get more laughs than you 
And so he oh, read the dictionary, uh, or it was a telephone book, one of the two, and read it on stage and got more laughs and basically brought the house down. And so it was that, like, fuck you, I can, you know, which yeah. when you're not good, you, know, you kind of can't. But, yeah. but you have that, where you could read the telephone book on stage, and we want to watch you. We want to watch you do more of that. And so I just really encourage you, as you continue to walk yourself through this journey of figuring out, you know, both with like partnership, what do you want with your sexuality? How do you like, how do you exercise it, but also keep it for you? Like, I think that's like a lot of, um, I'm going to do a couple podcasts about sexuality too, but like one thing for me, which was like, I always thought it was a thing that I was like giving to other people. Like, Oh, if I was really quote unquote good at this thing, or if I did certain things, then that was like gave me a sense of value when it came to like dating or being with other people rather than being like, oh, this is just another gift that I have. This is just another thing that like I get to choose when I share it with other people and how do I want to exercise that? So as you walk your way through all of that and even with like everything you're talking about on stage and all of that, I just really encourage you that I think all of them were offered to you for a reason in this lifetime and all of them are gifts even though they don't feel like it and that when as in my opinion as artists it's like when we do our best work is when we're really sitting with those things and figuring out like what are they here to teach me and now how can I teach other people because even though you're so serious when you do talk about like the bible and those things like it's fascinating. And I just see you, I just, I'm like getting a vision of you just doing like a one woman show that is kind of like, you know, something like, um, you know, uh, the Bible needed a rewrite or something uh -huh. like that. Or like, you know, cause you do drafties and you right. do rewrites and like with that whole brand where it's like, you know, Emily Browning rewrites, you know, it needed a rewrite and you, you go back through and pick through. And, um, I think it's just really fascinating. I think there's a lot there. I almost cried like three times while you were saying that. <laughs> I was, I'm just sitting here and I'm like, oh my God, she thinks I'm special. I do. I do. And I think everyone is special. I do. I really do. And I, that's, that's so much of why I want to do this podcast too, which is like, you know, sometimes the ego in me still comes up where I'm like, oh, LaForce, why couldn't you have like, just want to do stand up comedy? Like, you don't have to talk about things. You don't have to challenge anything. Like, what do you know? Like, you know, you only know, you only have a white experience or you only have, you know, 35 years experience or you only have a woman's experience. Like rather than being like, I'm not saying I know everything. I'm just sharing what I know and hoping to find more people like yourself that want to come talk to me and teach me what they know. Like this whole podcast for me is about like really learning how to be a student. And I feel like so much of that is to your point where you're like, everything feels hopeless. And, and I do that sometimes, like, especially when other people get things, you know, where we live in Hollywood and people yeah. get things and you're like, motherfucker, I I'm wanted really that happy. thing. Or the worst is when it's not even a thing that you wanted, but then you think about it for three days and it's like, yeah. that didn't, I didn't even ever consider that a goal of mine, but now I've just been chewing on it for three nights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when a friend gets on SNL and you're like, when was the last time you wrote a sketch? <laughs> yeah. Because guess what, Emily, their job is writing sketches. <laughs> do you enjoy writing sketches? Would you like to do it full time in New York? Okay, because that's what SNL is. Yeah, I always okay? felt that way about late night shows. Yeah. Like I never, I've written maybe like one late night packet. I hate late night jokes. Not that they're not, people who write them are phenomenal. Oh, it's incredible. great. My brain doesn't work that way. I have no interest in doing that. And then somebody, I would be like, oh, they're writing for like Colbert. Like, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Why can't I get that job? And it's like, because you don't want that job, you yeah, psychopath. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. 
It's, it's and so oh the God. more I can just do that of like, listen, you're allowed to have your feelings, LaForce, but also like, let's talk about how insane this is. Yeah, you got to rein it in. You do. But yeah. I think um, talent, all that, I just, I just lost my train of thought and that's okay. I'll let it go. But um, yeah, I think that there is, oh, that's what it was. When you zoom out, right? So all these things that I think I want or I'm going after. And similarly, when I zoom out and I'm like, if none of this matters, that's why the only thing that matters is making sure that the people closest to me know how much I love them. Yes. It's pouring more and more love than I thought was possible to Jonah. It's been a huge thing for me. I've realized how like unattached or disattached from the idea of like really loving things I've been mm-hmm. out of abandonment. And that's like a whole other podcast. We'll save that for a different day. But like from feeling abandoned, from feeling like I, um, you know, other people get picked first, that I always get pecked pick second, um, that I just have to be funny so that way people will like me, like all of those things plays into it. I'm like, oh, I've never really learned how to like love, like just open my arms up wide and like just let it because it, there's always been, you know, a fourth wall as it were. There's always been something where it's like, I'll talk about it. I'll pretend you'll think, yeah, but I've never actually allowed it to like integrate into me and then also like express it outwardly um well do you feel like you actually love yourself for the first time and i do that's people fucking say it they're like you can't love other people if you don't love yourself self-love and i go can you all just shut the fuck up well it's also it's like one of those concepts too i feel like you know where it's like it kind of like learning self-love feels like going to an art museum where people are like i don't know you get to decide what the art is and it's like i just fucking tell me like what is it you know, it's like genuine, like I, it's kicking me in the face right now about, uh, like I told you earlier, <laughs> I accidentally did meth recently and it was just a really good moment. <laughs> can you, can you give us the cliff notes really quick? Cause people, they've people been on a know. journey with you. <laughs> They're here. And okay. So the, my, uh, because I can do really daring things, wh- whatever room I'm in, I'm pretty down. You know, sure. And so I did a show recently. I was in, um, I'm, I was in the woods. I'm not gonna say I don't want, I don't want bookers involved in this. Sure, I was, sure. I was in the woods. Uh, there was a lake. There's a resort. Uh, you did a show for like 150 people, and then everybody goes to one bar. They're like, you go to the bar, and I'm like, wow, there's one bar. I got super drunk, nine tequilas in, probably a free drinks, and uh, and you know, someone they start talking about cocaine, and if you uh, if you like cocaine. <laughs> It's like uh, you turn into a child and you say you can get dessert. And then if you don't get the dessert, you're going to have a tantrum on the floor. So anyway, but this is coming from someone who me, who I identify as someone who doesn't do drugs, which is denial. And so um, basically I, uh, one girl says she'll help me out. And I go, oh, she probably has the drugs I want. We end up uh, going, we leave the bar, we get in the car and that's kind of when I know that that we're not going to be doing the drugs that I want to do in my moral code of what I have justified to be appropriate for sure. my lifestyle. Sure. Cocaine in bathrooms, yeah. appropriate. Cocaine Hollywood, baby. I do it a couple times a month. I'm good. You know, I watch people do it first. Oh, they didn't get hospitalized. Okay, pass it over. It's free. Great. Let's do this. And so I love free stuff. And uh, so next thing you know, they're, they're, they're talking about saving up to go to Italy. And I'm like, all oh, these people are cute. You're never going to Italy. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
look at me this look at this judgment just because you do meth a bunch doesn't mean you can't go to those trips to the uk that's true I meth is fairly affordable yeah, so if they were so doing cocaine oh, that's where the they would have not is. been going to italy yeah, yeah they would have been going to denmark yeah but, my yeah. friend my friend was like emily what did these people look like i'm like looking back meth people yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. And, um, but again, I see. Do you see how I can judge? But you that? didn't smoke it because that no, was I the initial thing. It. You said that to me and I thought you were joking. And then yeah. you looked at me and I go, oh, you're being serious. I need to know everything about this story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and I'm doing the Cliff Notes version. But no. And by the way, Rachel said, I can't believe you smoked with. And, and very like pretentiously, I looked at her and I said, I snorted it like a lady. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. so you snort. Yeah. meth with these people yeah. and, then, and then we get out of the car and didn't ask them by the way you just snorted still, things with people in a car still didn't know i mean in high school my buddies asked me to snort a leave off of a knife and i did that and oh. it, it hurts so bad it hurts so i've never had anything hurt more in, up my nose like my eye my right eye just started it felt like my right side of my brain was on fire and i just instantly started tearing up crying on one side of my face and my friend's convinced me to do the other ha side to be even and I did so this is just an ongoing thing in my life of me saying yes to things yeah to well, just, of, of choosing the approval over yourself yeah, exactly of my own well-being and safety and so we get out of the car and I look at the guy and I finally go well I, I just want to know and I go hey man what what do we just uh do and he looked at me and he was like uh dope meth and I go oh yeah for sure and then uh and then that lasted about 12 hours and so but in that moment I've been really dissecting it I joked about it on stage of course like really quickly like the next week I had a saucy show in LA at the Silver Lake Lounge and I opened up the show with 10 minutes of me explaining the story which I thought was hilarious to which my siblings in the audience later were like we're not ready to joke about that yet and I was like, ah, oh, God, what, what, what downers? You know what I'm saying? This funny thing happened. Come on, it was one time I don't do meth. Sure, it's hilarious. Yeah, I don't do drugs even, really. I'm just like, in again, the CD case. I'm just tucking away my little justified things that I like to do behind the other CDs. And uh, it just made me really face the, the decision of not wanting to get out of the car. And I just realized, I was like, oh, my God, Emily, do you hate yourself? Do you hate yourself to the point, like, where you – don't care if you die like which is like wow do you i am getting past that i people, do you do you do you suffer from depression yes yeah. yes and i um people don't understand i joke about this on stage like i'm like people ask me what i'm I where they i see myself in five years and i say i don't know i thought jesus was coming back and I didn't really make any plans. I did not see my life. That's also very funny. Isn't I'm sorry. Very, hilarious. very dark, yeah, but, but so very funny. funny. No, I literally did not. Like, I was hoping to maybe have, like, a kid have sex once with my husband. And then, like, I thought we were all going up into heaven. I thought everybody was supposed to be a giant left behind Nicolas Cage moment of you. If you weren't. Great you're, series. You're clearly not a real Christian. You would you would still be here. Yeah. And then my clothes would just fall to the ground and I would go up to heaven. And then seven years later, after the de devil had his way with the world. World, we would come back and we would reign the world and have it be what it was supposed to be and then eternally sing glory to glory to God. So I that sounds so exhausting. It's so exhausting. Have you been to? Have you really given your all in a worship service? It's like it's like a three hour orgy and then you're like, I'm good for like another week, right? But so I genuinely believe this. So I think I'm still recovering from not believing in the the end times, and so. 
now I'm like, oh God, I have this life to live. Like I should like retirement. I just invested in my Roth IRA, not to brag, but um, you know, you don't care a lot about people who simultaneously <laughs> in the same time frame have opened up a Roth and also snorted meth. So <laughs> when you talked about earlier that dualities exist, <laughs> baby, it's right. Here. Woo, baby. I mean, yeah, I told you after the next morning after doing meth was one of the most spiritual days I've had in years. I woke up, I I read a book called Feathers that it's literally just about the evolution of feathers. And um, it just had that on hand. Yeah, I keep it on me. It's very soothing. It makes me feel smart. And it's like something so outside of my world that like it's just a good break from, you know, has nothing to do with Hollywood. No one's like, and I sold the idea for this book to Netflix. (laughs) You know, it's just like, it's just a really great, it's so hilarious. There's different theories of why feathers have evolved. And uh, some people think it was to shade their eggs during the during the what see i don't even know how to talk about it sounds like you haven't read the book yeah well there's great pictures sure (laughs) sure well it's all about feathers (laughs) i wish there were more feathers you got this book on you no oh that's a shame i do carry it sometimes and i don't read it but i you know i want someone to see it and think i'm pretty smart you know i wrote a sketch about that once (laughs) that actually made it into my reel for a long time wait i'm sorry put a pin in that the reason why i bought this book is because your fucking husband told me about it on his podcast where he got (laughs) really high and talked about cloacas or whatever oh yeah bird vaginas and the vagina and the butthole are the same i'm so sorry if the audience uh, these are two different genres of podcasts but anyway so i was so fascinated by the cloaca that i ended up i don't know why this is phenomenal this is alex's fault okay so i well yeah it's not your husband's fault that i did drugs it's um but that's why i have this book and then i meditated and then i walked to the lake and i decided to let go of my my anger towards my father and it was this whole morning and by the time the other three comics woke up hungover they looked at me at breakfast and they were like why do you look good (laughs) and they're like where is your soul gone yeah yeah they're like they're like why why how can we look like this and then you look like restored and like you know anyway because i was cleansed the duality i forgot what we were talking about Fuck. Sounds like you just snorted meth. Yeah. <laughs> Again, actually. <laughs> yeah. That was a run. Yeah. We ran. No, uh, I think. Um... Oh, plans, the end times. Like, not oh, sure. Knowing. Oh, self love. So when you live your, li- your whole life just for God or to make daddy happy, you, you don't know how to love yourself because it's just like, just do the right thing. Just do the rules and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And, you'll, and, and don't worry about traveling or dreams or finding even love even because you can do that in heaven. You can, you can do all those things when you get to heaven. So I know very little about, and when you're talking about, it makes me want to get emotional that I'm six years old. Sometimes I get so upset with myself that I don't really understand how like news works or like how people can make jokes about the government and like and that you know how it works or like sports teams or culture because I grew up of like I was not of this world. There was literally a Christian bookstore called C two eight and it's off of this uh, verse in Second Corinthians C two eight. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Um, don't want your fans like Bible fact checking me and thinking I'm a loser. But it was the slogan <laughs> was like not of this world. And so I just always did not identify with 
people or culture at all. And so I'm literally just absorbing the world. And I'm a fucking stand-up comedian. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to have culture at the forefront. We're supposed to know everything before it happens and have an opinion about it. And so I get really, yeah. and then people go, all Emily does is talk about sex jokes and religion. And I go, that's all I know. <laughs> I'm a six-year-old. But also, that's um, hilarious. But also, I don't know. I mean, you and I were talking about this earlier where, you know, the comic hustle where people are like, oh, I did like four shows last night. I'm like hitting five clubs tonight, bro. And like just this competition of hustle that exists when I do think obviously like to get really good, you do need your 10,000 hours. That's real. You need to know yourself on stage. You need to know how people view you. You need to know like where to add consonants, where to slow down, where to get fast, where to like, you have to know that to, in my opinion, yeah. to, to really have a great well-rounded act but not enough people that are doing comedy, quote unquote, these days have an act. They write jokes that do well on Twitter and they get on stage and they stand with the mic and they don't move and they just recite a bunch of jokes to other people who are also comics having the exact same experience. There's no challenge. There's no creativity. There's no artistry. There's no entertainment. It's a, it's a, I feel like lately when I perform, I am surviving. It's like you, you sometimes because I'm so, I, I'm getting back into it of like, actually there's a fear of failure, a fear of trying out new stuff and being like this, that I feel like they're just getting through it just to say they did it. I mean, yeah. You Other want comics you mean? Yeah. But also myself, I'm a culprit of that. I feel like I've just like survived. I'm just going to do my best jokes so I can hundred percent nail this and move on to the next thing. Yeah. And for me, like, I mean, the hardest thing for me about stand-up is that for it to be really good, it's got to be the same night after night. Like, I'm too much of an improviser. Like, I can't not, like, now I've basically framed it where I'm like, tell two jokes up top so they know that you're a stand-up comic. Like, they get it. Yeah, right. Then you can rant and talk about what's ever on your mind, and then that way, whether you win or lose in that time, yeah. then you end with something that you always know works. And then that way, like, which I know is a very classic, I'm not, if you're a comedian listening to this, you're like, oh, you mean you're just trying things? Yeah, that's how it works. Great. But I just mean, like, even when I have, like, bigger shows, I I still kind of, you know, adhere to that idea because I'm like, I, that to me is what keeps it interesting. It's oh, very, yeah. very hard to, I mean, now if I was doing like a special for Netflix or something, I'm obviously it's going to be scripted the whole way through. Yeah, but, but even I remember like it's edited so you could have an hour of outtakes. Yeah. So can you imagine having the freedom of a three hour show? Could you imagine having the freedom too of like, of uh, you're going to try out crowd work and some of it's not going to work and guess what? No one's going to see it. But that one person that it does and you have the audience rolling you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. like, even when you do get the special, if you have that money, hopefully you have more recording time and you just take it out. Yeah. But, like, you try. Wouldn't Mark Maron say something like, uh, this isn't, uh, I don't know what I'm going to say, and I do this because if it's bad, well, I didn't prepare, and if it's good, I'm a genius. <laughs> Which is such a Maron thing. That's also an addict thing, yeah, too. Well, I feel I like love, that's such an addict thing. I love that. I mean, I, I mean, the, my favorite sets have been... I mean, honestly, one of my top five sets is when I was in uh, uh, Oregon and ha you, 
you do the show sober and then you do drugs and then you go up again. Problematic again. Uh, but I did. Well, you're smoking weed. You're not like. No, I did acid for the first time. Oh, and then you did your set on acid? Yes. Well, you do do a lot of drugs, don't you? Yeah, but I'm in denial about it. And look at me. Well, that's defensive. also an addict thing, but I'll let you. I had one glass of wine this month. I'm doing great, okay? <laughs> I have had no drugs because I look at tequila and all I see is powder. And so, I <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm just so in denial. I'm like, but I'm not an addict and I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, you'll, you'll hopefully for you, as you continue to walk this journey, you'll find what your boundaries are. And I you, hope that for you. I need least. to say I've only done acid once and that was the first time. And so that's why it was so fun to do it in front of people and like just have it was that. fun to do. Oh my it was gosh. Hilarious. That it was sounds so, funny. so I posted my post about aliens on Instagram was all improvised. I'm talking about oh, I saw Jesus that. Yeah. as an alien. Yeah. I'm totally on. I'm totally tripping in that. That's hilarious. Yeah. It was so funny. But, but I, I, go ahead. I was going to say that whatever you're going to say is going to be need, way more interesting than what I was going to offer. What I need to do, what, what was so hard about touring with that show is I got back and I was like, oh my God, how do I be that funny sober? Like, what is wrong? Like, because the drugs just, you know, remove it. Or people who say, like, I need a few drinks before I go on stage. I'm like, oh my God, I have so much work to do to be silly in my everyday life. Like, I need to, what? Sorry. She's yeah. If you can't, you can't, I'm, She's unfortunately, we head. didn't, uh, we didn't tape this one for, for a myriad of reasons. But anyway, um, I was just putting my hands up of like, here's why. Okay. And, or at least in my, in my experience, it's because when you're sober, you don't know yourself as well. And when you, and you as a universal you, not saying to you, but I know that I felt this way because, um, when I don't you're sober. You don't know yourself as well. Yeah. Okay. Meaning like when you get on stage, if you have some sort of like, you know, again, where I was talking about like for the first time, I feel like there wasn't that gate of me fully feeling love. Mm. It's the same way. When you get on stage, we already have a gate up, right? You have to, to a certain extent, right? To do what it is that you're doing. Um, and but when when you partake in drugs or this or that, and yes, there is an extent of like drugs access different parts of our mind and like different things. And I do think that there is a way to healthily participate in drugs in, in different ways. I do think that that exists. Um, but I think that a lot of times artists and comics rely on it. And then when they're sober, they're like, Oh, well, like I'm not as good. It's like, hey, well, hey, how long have you been sober? Because when you're only sober in in between being fucked up, you're not sober. You're just not currently fucked up. Whoa. Because I also I got sober on accident, by the way. Um, it's because I've shared this on the podcast, but because I had been living with somebody and it was just not where I was supposed to be. That relationship ended, but I had to live there for 50 days. We had to yeah. live in the same house. Sad house. In the sad house. You've heard the story. So I was like, I'm going to not drink for 50 days. Well, after 50 days of being sober, I just didn't want to drink because I want to come home and like us get in an argument or something. You know, I was like, yeah. this is painful, but it doesn't have to be dramatic. I'm just not going to drink. I cannot drink for 50 days. No big deal. Wow. Well, after you've been sober for 50 days and you haven't been sober for 50 days since you were 18 years old, you're like, oh, I should start looking at some shit. Yeah. So that's a lot of it. Just in my observation and what you're happened like, to I me. I have enough money to move out. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. That's crazy. Especially because I quit smoking. It's like 12 bucks a pack. Yeah, that, that'll add up real quick. Yeah. Um, I could go to Italy with those people that you did meth with. <laughs> oh, my um, God. 
so bad. Oh, that's fine. They're going to get there. They're going to have a great time They're on meth in Italy. And they gave me their drugs. Like, that's another thing. So no one tells you that the people who offer you drugs are going to be really kind and cool-ish. Like, no one tells you that. You think they're just going to open up a weird black trench coat or they're going to not have teeth or something and be dirty. But it's not true. They just look like normal people. No creepy music plays. No Requiem for the Dream. Weird shit happens. It's just you sitting in a car and you're just talking about going to Italy and then your nose is on fire and then you go well we should you forgive your dad by the lake yeah exactly well not forgive just more like letting it go oh yeah I like that yeah I learned a lot about forgiveness this year too that's for a podcast for a different day still working on it yeah but for the first time was really able to accept that a lot of what I participated in I don't have to carry with me for the rest of my life that it's okay to let it go and to forgive myself and that that's okay. And, you know, every time I must have thought something, some memory like that popped up last night. And I remember um, I had like a, a dream. I often, I haven't shared this yet. I often have dreams um, that I find out that Alex has been cheating on me, which if you know, Alex is hilarious. Um, and I, and I've shared these with him he on and off. He seems like the worst liar. He's, I mean, first of all, like, if that man had any time to do anything, I'd be like, <laughs> he earned it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, he is so devoted to this family and we work so much. I'd be like, you know what? You earned it. Um, but I, you know, I've never had a partner like Alex. I've never had a, a connection with anyone the way I have with him. And I've never been loved and supported by somebody the way that Alex loves and supports me. So maybe after the fourth time I told him I had a dream like this, he's like, like, look at me, he's like, I really think you need to, like, have a conversation with yourself about why you're having these dreams. Like, wow. it's not, like, good. I was like, Dude, okay. he's gaslighting you. Yeah, I was like, okay. Yeah. He's like, it's weird. It's weird that you're having dreams. Like, I would never, do- you would do that. Of course oh, you would. that's what the gaslighter does. They say, babe, I'm worried that you're cheating on me. Yeah, you're yeah. cheating on me. That's why you're having these dreams, because you're actually cheating on me. Oh, God. I've dated those people, me too. too. Um, But I did, and I had one again, and I woke up, and I had to tell myself, like, I... Well, Alex is sleeping next to me and I woke up and I was like, we no longer believe this. This is not real. I am not being abandoned. We no longer think this way because I'm like, I, there, you know, so much of my, it doesn't happen a lot anymore, but there's also, I'll have bullying dreams sometimes too. I had a friend for a very long time that, uh, did a lot of gaslighting to me and a lot of bullying in different ways. And we just were all friends. And when you're friends, when you're kids, you like think it's like oh, normal kids. I was yeah. like, who as adults is letting, I'm just sitting here shaking my head. I'm like, how did we let this happen? Like what friend is coming over for a latte? And she's just like, oh, you loser. Oh, what are you wearing a robe? Like, how are we letting this person stay in our house? You know, just like bullying as an adult feels so weird to oh, me. Oh, it's, but oh, it, A, in that context, it is hilarious of just like the adult bully, but they're also. Like, they're like emptying your purse in public. Like they're just <laughs> spilling it on the ground. Be like, take that. You should have seen your face, dude. <laughs> just taking the cash being like uh guess i'm going to starbucks now loser oh <laughs> uh, it's too good the adult bully um because they also have to be dressed like a child it just makes it funnier yeah. um but no when i was when i was a kid and i'll still have those dreams sometimes of like everybody ganging up on me and that thing of like me going to my other friends and they're like we're not talking to you because so-and-so said to not talk to you or like I don't know if you ever experienced oh. mean girl bullying oh, like yeah, that we were called the nine third through eighth grade what was that? What's the nine? 
There was nine of us. Oh, well, we were the Super 7. Okay. (laughs) More. More is more powerful. We had one leader. What was her name? What was your leader's name? Oh, there's two. I'm not going to even. I can't say it. That was kind of a lot of the, um, you know, when you get two alphas, there's a lot. This is why you and I probably connect on another level, too, because sometimes group Female groups have also scared me a little bit because I was so traumatized for being in this group for five years and being brutally bullied. Yeah. Absolutely. Every day. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a story that many women relate to. Um, Men too. It happens differently within boys. Like I remember seeing that of like, there's always a punching bag, right? In every Uh, group of guys, there's always the punching bag and he laughs along with it. Like he's really enjoying it. And I'm like, yeah, it's still traumatizing. And he's like, am I gay? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. It's like, I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, just, oh, anyway. Yeah, so I, um, there's still a little bit of that left in me that kind of rears its head every so often. And now I've just really had to be like, for a long time, like I was like, I'm still processing and I'm still thinking through it. That's why it's like coming up. And now I'm like, I'm not that person anymore. I don't believe that. None of that is real and I'm safe. So I'm no longer like, I'm cutting it off as it's happening. Like, that was a huge one for me when you talk about loving yourself. When I finally realized, who you want to talk about having a spiritual awakening, just like while breastfeeding your child at three wow. in the morning, I had this sense of like um, radical acceptance that I'm safe for the first time. Like it almost felt like when when people describe um, like their life flashes before their eyes kind of thing, I felt like um, often for me when I have what I identify as like healing or some people identify it as like leveling up. Mm -hmm. That's like a big term in like the spiritual community is like, are you like leveling up? I don't know. To me, I'm like, it's not really a video game, but anyway, um, I, it's always where like things get really muddy before they get like crystal clear. So I always know now when things are really muddy for me, that something is about to come through. Mm -hmm. So I've been able to like relax my crack a little bit about it. Call back. Um, but I uh, I remember that a kind of leading up to this moment, I'd been um, having a lot of dreams where snakes were showing up on the ground. And I kept like, I was like screaming at my parents in the dream. And I was like, you have to get like the snakes out of here. Like, why are they here? And my parents would like put another snake on the ground. And they're like, it's fine. Everything's fine. And I kind of kept having that reoccurring dream. And I was like, oh, there are situations that I was either put in on accident or I have a very good relationship with both of my parents now, but I've healed a lot of stuff. Um, But where I was like, oh, there's a lot of situations either that they put me in or by proxy because they were just trying to do the best they could of being essentially single parents while raising me. And uh, to me, it didn't feel safe. So it was identifying and showing up as like that they're laying these snakes on the ground but being like, there's nothing here. I don't know like what your problem is like why do you not feel safe and I was like oh all of these senses of safety because essentially when my parents got divorced they were like in their early 20s I mean they were babies themselves they They, yeah they they had no idea what they were doing so I know that they did the best that they both could with with raising me and teaching me what they know but now looking back I'm like oh they didn't have a clue and so I think a lot of these senses of like what make you feel safe and then, you know, then by proxy, yeah, it was like being bullied in different ways. But then, yeah, where it's like you just become the funny person and you just accept like, oh, I'll be bullied in this way, but I can still be like a part of the team. So even if you're a part of the team, but you're still 
you're not because you don't feel safe. And so I've always had this sense of like hypervigilance that's lived inside me. And it was for the first time where I was like, oh, I'm safe. I'm safe now. I've built a life that supports me and takes care of me. And I am like, there's no snakes on the ground. There's no snakes on this plane. Like we're okay to relax. And like when I thought that and I was, yeah, I was nursing Jonah and it felt like being pulled out of a wormhole. Like I feel like I saw every single experience that I had that made me feel unsafe or made me feel like all of a sudden it was just like, and like ripped out and then like just almost like literally just no longer exists. Like I know it and I feel it and, and things like that, but it doesn't live in my body anymore. That's amazing. And I didn't even have to do meth, man. That was just. Wait, what? <laughs> you just have to find a baby to breastfeed. And then, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's almost weirder. <laughs> Coming at three in the morning, you're just breastfeeding I'm Jonah. Like, get me out of this hole, man. <laughs> Why isn't this working? I don't see any motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking tit. <laughs> Is that where we ended? <laughs> I think we did it. Yeah, right? I think we got pretty far. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Do you have any wrap-up thoughts? I did ask you if there's anything that you take away from. I know that you're still kind of in this journey, but is there anything that you want to offer yourself? This might be too vulnerable. Like my DMs? No. I'm like I'm improvising all of this, just so you know. Um, is there anything that you want to offer yourself that either like you – you can't quite accept yet or something that isn't real for you intrinsically yet, but something that you want to offer yourself on the next part of your journey. Yeah. Um, I think that we love, especially us who are into self-help or like positivity or growth. We want to solve all the problems really quickly. And like even a day is like almost too long and we want to wrap things up with a bow so that we can have the story to tell or the testimony. We want to write the self-help book before we've gotten out of the wormhole. Amen. Like, you know, and at least that my, my brain is always doing that. And so I think, I think that, um, remind yourself of how far you've come. I love that you brought up that I'm only six years out and I'm a six year old child learning this new language. Um, so just kind of like, Maybe like tangibly, I started recently like hanging up my accomplishments on my wall, like comedy posters, festivals, like I used to work at Showtime. I have my name tag. I'm like, these are your dreams, dude. Like things that you've done in your life that bring you joy. I like put them in front of me instead of just having on my phone. You know, it's not really like Instagram's just kind of like a graveyard, but uh, like putting it in front of me and owning that stuff. What am I saying? Like just being okay with uh, questions Questions are not wrong. Questions don't mean you have to like break up with your community or friends that you're just allowed to ask these questions to yourself. And like maybe it's okay to sit in the unknowingness and not having answers just yet. And if people ask you questions, you can just say, I don't know if I have an answer to that yet. And that's fine. So in fact, that's sometimes the smartest answer you can give. Honestly, I've and I've I done I do that a lot when it comes to God questions and stuff for people. And I think people think it's apathy and sometimes, yeah, I keep saying that, but I go, I, there's, I just don't know. I just, there, I, there's just so much I don't know. So, yeah. Yeah. I also, this is another like, you know, hand on your shoulder. Let me pray for you moment, which is, I also think your capacity 
to, I think you have an inner knowingness. I think that your inner knowingness is almost so great that it's too much to process at once. Like you, you're not in a position yet to be able to download all of that Mm -hmm. and own it yet because you're still in this phase of, I need to excavate everything that happened first. I need to get this firm foundation and understand what happened to me and where I am now. And then once I have that firm foundation, yeah, God bless the rest of us because it's your world and we're just living in it. And I would say, closing thoughts, the thing that's connected my old life to my new life is redefining what the Holy Spirit is and realizing that it's still true to me, if that makes sense. And it's called my intuition and my gut. And the thing is, it's been screaming at me this whole time. I just thought God wasn't real anymore, so it wasn't real. So trusting your intuition and playing with it is kind of fun. Like, say you're at a coffee shop and say you have this weird intuition to, like, go to the bookstore. Crazy. Um, <laughs> but and then you go and you bum into a friend from high school. I, like, I don't know, like, this, like, weird, like, intu- intuition stuff and take chances on the small things. And well, it'll guide you if yeah. you let it. Yeah, but you got to test it out a little bit. So, the like, more, start, yeah. start playing with it. So then when big stuff happens, like with Rachel, like, move to Atlanta. Sorry if you haven't announced that. Oh, no, I have. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like, announce this usually. Like, you know, then you go, I really trust that because I've been trusting my gut on the little things so much. So that's kind of what I'm exploring right now, too. And, um, yeah. Well, and the more you do it, I talk about this too. I think that's great because the more I've actually been instituting this more and more and trying to even get even better at it, which is like, because it's just like anything, it's a muscle, like anything else, the more you listen to it, then the more, the louder it becomes, the clearer it becomes. And then to your point, when you follow it on little things, then you know, like when, um, I mean, Alex knew too, when I was like, I think we need to move to Atlanta. And he was like, that's crazy. I've been thinking about it a lot too. And I said, I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I have a vision of exactly what it looks like in a couple of years from now. And I know that we won't get that if we don't go and we have to go now. Like we were going to stay throughout the year and like save more money. And then I came home and I was like, we're supposed to go now. We got to go by March. We would have gone earlier, but it just is not actually, you know, to pick up your life of seven years and go somewhere else is not really feasible. But um, yeah, and I also think, you know, talk about that sense of safety where I think we run around for so long looking for safety outside of ourselves. Cause I did a lot of, you know, I've never done meth in a car, but I, um, it's such a great story. <laughs> I'm glad you're safe, but it's a hilarious story. Yeah, but I have my own stories like that, right. Where it's like, it is this sense of, and I don't mean to put this on you, but in my experience of like, looking for what are the rules outside of myself that if if other people and that's a lot of like being in Hollywood too and as a creator of like the gatekeepers well if somebody else tells me that this is good then I know this idea is good no most gatekeepers don't have a fucking clue what's good and so you know and most of the things that have been the biggest hit took the longest to make it to television took 10 years for Mad Men to make it to television eight years for Queen's Gambit yeah I mean it's like think about all those things that creators knew better than everybody else and you know earlier off air when we were talking about that you're like why couldn't I just be the person who's like I need to get out of the car and what I feel like I'm really practicing right now is like I always valued other people's opinions over my own that I never learned what I thought yet at the same time the people I think are the most badass are the ones that do whatever they want without regard for like if other people think it's cool so maybe in some ways I'm still chasing being cool but I I have where I'm like, I have to be okay with it. I have to be. And it doesn't matter if other people don't understand it because there's plenty of things that other people do that I don't understand. 
but this is my life. And to your point, if I'm going to zoom out and be like, what actually matters, my contentness, my safety, my, and the more you do that, the more authentically you create on stage, the more authentically people connect to what you're saying because you're saying something that's true. So even for you right now, if it's just talking about sex and church on stage, we'd love to see it. Guys, I don't know how long we've been talking, but if I had to guess, it's a long time. So thank you so much for listening to this. Um, If you like this podcast, please Please tell somebody, um, please tell somebody, anyone, um, go on Apple podcasts, please leave a positive review. Even if you're just like, thought it was cool, that's fine. Um, you know, this, I can't do this alone. This takes a village. It takes participants. It takes people excited. Um, if you are, I'm getting ready to roll out a Patreon. So we'll just be doing a $5 a month support the podcast. So it's literally, if you're like, I'd love to buy Rachel a coffee, you can once a month for $5 on my Patreon. Uh, I'm going to be building out some other um, kind of community circles or office hours type things where um, if you are on the Patreon, we can jump on Zoom like we we're talking about with Emily. You can't just bombard somebody after a comedy show and tell them about your life. But if you want to tell me about yours, you can join our community circles and you can do exactly that. So lots of fun stuff we're going to be rolling out. That's enough about me. Uh, again, I'm Rachel LaForce. You know where to find me, but I could have not done this episode without the lovely, daring, adventurous, and vulnerable, yet so, so strong. She's like uh, just a glass menagerie, IRL. Uh, Emily Browning. Emily, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at Emily Brown Town. And if you happen to be a writer in need of some editing or assistance, I also have a writing consulting virtual bar called Drafties Bar on uh, Instagram and the website draftiesbar.com. Uh, so that's pretty much what I got going on. And I got a burlesque show to do stand up comedy in about four hours and I, uh, chicken parmesan I got to eat. So we got to get to it. Yeah. Guys, thank you so much for listening. As always, uh, tune in what you need. You already got. Love you so much. Bye.